Do 1 to 13. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bishri, a Benjamite, and he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his own tents of Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bishri, his sheep. And the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from Jordan to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took ten concubines whom he had left to take care for the house, and put them in a house under guard and provided for them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as, in, as if in widowhood. Then the king said to Amasa, Call the men of Judah together to me within three days, and be here yourself. So Amasa went to summon Judah, but he delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed to and David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bishri, will do to us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he get himself to fortified cities and escape from us. And there went from went out after him Joab's men, and the Cherish Cherethites and the Pelethites, and all the mighty men. They went out from Jerusalem to pursue <coughs> Sheba, the son of Bishri. And then when they were gathered, at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Mesa came to meet them. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt, with a sword in its sheath fashioned on his thigh. And he went forth, and it fell out. And Joab said to Mesa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Mesa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Mesa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bishri. And one of Joab's young men took his stand by Mesa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. And Mesa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway. And anyone who came by seeing him stopped. And when the man saw that all the people stopped, he carried Amasa out onto the highway into the field and threw a garment over him. When he was taken out to the highway, all the people went out while went on after Joab to pursue Sheba in the tree. So we've got this troublemaker named Sheba that's kind of the match that ignites the division. He blows the trumpet and he says in verse 1, We have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents. O Israel. That is sort of the watchword of rebellion. Every man to his tents. We're going to act independently. We're going to do what we choose to do. Now he was sort of ahead of his time in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 16 in connection with the revolt against Rehoboam. That's exactly what they say. To your tents, O Israel. In 1 Kings 12, 16. So we've got a revolt. The northern tribes will not have anything to do with David's leadership. Uh, wow. I'll tell you what. Things have gotten complicated for David ever since about chapter 11. Have you noticed that? And uh, we've got division. Soon to be civil war on our hands. David's going to have to deal with this. Who does he turn to? Amasa. Why Amasa? He's the new commander. He's the new commander of the army. He said, better get some troops ready and go after him. And uh, what happens with Amasa? He's a little slow. He's a little slow. 
I don't know if that means that the troops were a little slow to respond to him, or if he was just a little slow. I don't know, but I mean, time's wasting. You know, you've got to get this before it becomes a full-fledged, you know, civil war. And so David is feeling uncomfortable about the delay, and who does he finally turn to? Indirectly. Who did he finally turn to? Abishai. <laughs> I'll tell you, David uh, does what we do, doesn't he? He avoids the confrontation. Instead of turning to Joab and saying, Joab, listen, I, I need your help. He says, Abishai, go round up the troops. <laughs> you know, that's kind of an indirect way of asking for Joab's help. And so, you know, when he asks Abishai, Joab's men, along with the bodyguards and so forth, come to pursue Sheba. Um, and there's a moment where Joab and Amasa meet each other. Uh, Joab, somehow or other, you know, coincidentally, his uh, sword falls out of its sheath. You would assume that's not something that happens every day of the week. They get better designed sheaths. Uh, but it so happened it fell out just about the time he, you know, comes to a mason. So he's, he picks it up and he's still got in his hand when he draws uh, a mason down by his beard to kiss him. And in the process stabs him to death, you know, with the sword. And uh, what do you see in Joab? He's full of techniques. He's a coward. Full-blooded murderer. Why? Kills his cousin. Kills his cousin. Sword doesn't depart from David's house. Why? Gets the job back. Yes! He wants no rival. You don't mess with Joab. Nobody's going to replace him as long as Joab's got any say about it. Uh, do you, does this remind you of anything? I made that really vague. Yes. Judas. Yes. This is kind of the Old Testament ver version of the Judas kiss. You know, kiss him while you're stabbing him. So, wow. He, Joab, you better watch your back and several other parts of your body if you, uh, you know, are around him. And so Joab now is leading the army. Got rid of a mason. Just a lot of bad stuff and awkward stuff and you know you just do feel like David doesn't deal with anything firmly directly refuses to confront he is the you know he would fit so well in 21st century America <laughs> you know if we are a people who don't want to confront you know I am a child of the age so I can feel that in myself and it's amazing how we will do anything not to deal with things that ought to be dealt with. And you see what happens by looking at David when we don't. <coughs> Comments? Nicole? Uh, do we know how much time has elapsed since chapter 11? I don't know. I don't know. A while. I don't know. Better? Yeah, uh, the same phrase that uh, you see in verse 1 from chapter 20, uh, pretty similar, not exactly, you see in Second Chronicles 10, when nation finally splits on uh, Rio Bowl, and said, what do we have to do with, uh, uh, with David, what shape do we have in David, or what inheritance do we have in him, so... Like you said, it's pretty cool. It doesn't happen with Rehoboam, it like, proceeds it for so long, breaks little by little. Correct. Correct. 
Yes. David. John really seems to like this draw you in and stick you in the stomach thing. He does. He does it to Abner as well. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's good at that. Brian. It, it almost seems like one of David's greatest strengths as being king also turns to one of his greatest weaknesses. Like we praise him and towards the beginning of the book for being one of the people during the celebration when they were in Jerusalem. And how people could relate to that, how that would be something you'd want in a leader. Would you also see that in Jesus, how he was with the common people and, and spent time with them? So then you also see how that would make it hard if you're always like that to really discipline someone or, or make the tough choices. Where in Jesus, you see him criticize the Pharisees and, and uh, be more stern than he needs to be. But. Good point. Yeah. Sometimes our greatest strength is our greatest weakness, Eric. Just because we're, we've been talking about this a little bit, do you have any pointers on like how to be stern with people when you need to be, and one to maybe to, because I think a lot of us struggle with, at least I know I do, like not being maybe as hard with people as I should be sometimes. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would start with Jude 22 and 23. You know, he says that have mercy on some who are doubting, save others snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. I mean, the principle there in Jude 22 and 23 is we don't deal with everybody with a one-size-fits-all approach. We consider the situation of the person. Some people need a lot more compassion. Some people need a lot more firmness. And we see Jesus, and did he use the same approach with everybody? He did not. Jason? Yeah, I think it's good to apply and uh, treat others you would have yourself be treated. Try to put yourself in that other person's shoes and really try to understand what led to them making the, the even the sin that they had committed. And once you do that, it'll, you'll be able to approach it with a different kind of mind. Yeah, and there's so much to say, so much to think about with that. I mean, I, I would make this statement that there are times when if we care about someone and have real love and compassion, they will actually be okay with us saying a lot of things to them. You know, that does make a difference. It's amazing to me sometimes. On the other hand, I think we have to reckon with the fact that those who truly speak for the Lord are not popular with a lot of people. I mean, you look at the New Testament or the Old Testament, true servants of God, you know, we're surrounded by enemies. So not everybody's going to be happy with us if we speak correctly. We have to have humility and we need to speak just the word of the Lord. Um, but I don't know. I feel like my bigger weakness is not confronting as much as I should. I think that's my tendency is to shrink back from the confrontation. Comments? Thoughts? I'm yes. kind of wondering, I don't know if we're going to get to this, on, in verse 3, his ten concubines that um, hmm. Absalom had defiled, does he not touch them again for that reason because Absalom had touched them? That is what I am assuming, that they're kind of violated property now and they're just sort of quarantined <laughs> for the rest of their lives. That, that's what I assume. I didn't have much to say about that. I'm sure I understand that any more than that. That's why I didn't come. 
David. Do you have any opinion on the reason it was kind of placed where it is? It seems kind of random to be going over this <coughs> rebellion that kind of skips over to the concubines and then back to the rebellion. Great observation, but I don't. Other thoughts? Okay. Uh, 14 to 22. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel of Beth Maaca, and all the Bitrites uh, assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were with Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Maaca. They cast up a mound of uh, mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart. And they were battering the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here, that I may speak to, to you. And he came near her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. Um, and so they settled the matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Joab answered, Far be it from me, far be it that I should swallow up or destroy. And that is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba the son of Betri, uh, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give him up alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba the son of Betri, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home. And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the city, to the oh, king. Okay. We still got the problem. You know, we've kind of dealt with the collateral problem here uh, with uh, Amasa and Joab's rivalry. But Sheba still is in full rebellion and uh, is in the city of Abel. And uh, so, nothing to do but besiege the city till we overrun it and are able to kill Sheba. At least that's Joab's approach to this thing. And so he's building the battering ram and the, the siege ramp and, and whatever. And uh, he's, he's about to, to knock over the wall. There's this wise woman that calls out from the top of the wall and says, you know, are you Joab? I need to talk to you. And, and I'm a wise woman and I've settled disputes. And why are you trying to destroy this city? Joab said, well, that's not really the point. We're trying to get to Sheba. She said, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> and uh, she says, I can get his head for you if you'd like. And so uh, they remove that from the rest of his body and throw it over to Dayton. <laughs> and uh, throw it over to Joab, I guess. And uh, so that's that. That ends the rebellion. There are times when killing the leader kind of quells the whole dispute. Uh, sometimes one person can kind of keep the thing stirred up. So when Sheba is killed, then the rebellion's over, and David is able actually to consolidate his reign now again 
over all of the tribes of Israel. Comments and thoughts about this? Yeah, I couldn't help but chuckle, but I can't believe Joe can say what he says in verse 20 with a straight face. Yeah, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. <laughs> and he was just, he just had just killed Hamasa. Yeah, yeah, good point. Michael. I think it's interesting that once again, a, a nameless character, just the wise woman's really the one that ends up winning the victory for David. You know, it would be interesting sometime to collect up all the nameless characters in the Bible that play a, a role. Because there are quite a few of them. Eric. Yeah, I like that we, earlier we saw a wise woman, and then in 1 Samuel, Samuel we had Abigail. A lot of people in our culture today will say that the Bible portrays women in a very bad kind of way. But if you look through the Bible, there's a lot of times women are portrayed in, in glowing terms. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Other thoughts? I mean, think about where we're at here a little bit. I mean, you know, what a punishment. I mean, have you, have you just tried to think through everything, this, this chain reaction that, that started with David putting his eyes where they didn't belong? And man, what has that led to? You know, it led to the death of a decorated soldier. It led then to all sorts of consequences. You know, Amnon lusts at, like David lusts and rapes his half-sister and discards her. Absalom premeditates a killing like David did and kills his brother Amnon and then precipitates a revolt that is just full-out war between the two sides that leads to Absalom's untimely death that leads to a division of the tribes over bringing David back, that leads to this revolt and uh, Sheba and all of that sort of thing. Wouldn't it have been a lot better if David had minded where he put his eyes and had not given in to this foolish, sensual pleasure God never intended for our sexual natures to be used for someone we do not have a covenant of marriage with. That is what God intended, that's God's design, that's the only right thing. And when we violate that, we will create problems for ourselves. You know, and wow, what problems? You just think about it, if the fatherly chastening is this severe, what would divine retribution have looked like in David's case? Comments and thoughts? Micah. Do we have any idea as far as the timeline goes from David to Bathsheba to this point in time? I know there, I know there is with Absalom from Amnon Tamar to uh, a certain point. It was like some 11 years, but I didn't know if there was uh, any more time that was expounded upon all yeah, this. I don't know. I mean, you've got the three years is what I'm remembering that Absalom was banished. Mm -hmm. But uh, to, to give a whole timeline, does somebody have a suggestion on that? I really don't. No. Other thoughts and comments? Brian. Well, with the timeline, we assumed that uh, Amnon's sin was after David's Right. Yeah, I mean, still, trying to figure out how long this whole thing was, I don't know. Several years, but I don't know more than that. 
Other questions or comments? Okay, look at this last little section. Now Joab was over the whole army. This is 23 of Israel. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the Carathites and the Pelathites, and Adoram was over the forced labor. Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilud was the recorder, and Sheba was scribe, and Zadok and Abiathar were priests, and Ira the Jerite was also a priest to David. Here's sort of the administration of David at this point. You have several of these summary segments, either David's descendants or the uh, cabinet officials. Uh, anything stand out to you in that account? Joab's back in his job. You know, how many times does David not deal with Joab effectively? He was a murderer that David doesn't seem to manage to bring to justice. Now he's compromised by him having employed Joab to execute violence on his behalf. And so Joab's back again. You just can't get rid of Joab. And I think David should have been a lot firmer in dealing with him. Seth? We know that Joab had something on David. Right. Uh, I mean, he did David's dirty work with Uriah, so it might be difficult for David to get rid of Joab. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, Elizabeth. How is Ira the Jerite? Um, I don't know, and I'm not sure that word always is translated priest either. So it may be like a minister to David. Maybe. Yeah, my version says that he's a chief and minister. Yeah, so there's probably some debate about that. Eric. It, um, it, chapters 21 through 24 are like an appendix, right? Yes, I believe they are. Okay, so then this right after this is where First Kings would pick up. Then. Right, I think so. Okay. Yes, I think so. You also have a Dorum over the forced labor, and we're going to see him over the forced labor in Solomon's day, and we're going to see him over the forced labor even in Rehoboam's day until he ended up getting uh, killed. I, I wonder if there's more than one Adoram, or if really he was over the forced labor for such a long period of time. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but that's an interesting thing. Maybe that's a title rather than a personal name. I don't know. Other comments or questions about his administration here? The uh, first list of the administration at the end of chapter 8, David's sons were the uh, chief ministers. Right. Kind of get some replacements there. Right. <laughs> Interesting thought, yeah. Uh, he hasn't lost all of them yet. He has quite a number by all these different wives, but uh, he has uh, lost the oldest three evidently now. Eric. It's kind of cool that from the, the last time that there was a listing of all these people, I think it was back in chapter 8, it showed all of David's officials there, and then in between these two lists, if you have David almost losing all of his officials and losing his power, and then at the end of that, here's the final list again to say that he's gotten it all back. Okay. Yeah, good idea. Other thoughts? Michael. Uh, you brought up last night that like his officials are based on justice and equity, and that's what Jehoshaphat and Sadoff mean, and they're still in this list again, but still, even with all that happened, He's still his official advice on justice. Yeah, at least their names. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh. Other comments? 